If you were interviewing someone for a job, what are the main things you would want to look at about that person? If you were going to ordain a man into the ministry, what are some of the things that you'd look at? If you were looking for someone to run your business, what are some of the characteristics, what are some of the things, that the skills, talents, whatever, what would you be looking at? If you're going to put a person into a leadership position, even, let's say, the leader of a nation, such as a president, what characteristics would you look at, would you look for? Now, the Bible answers this question, and the answer is very simplistic, and we're going to look at the answer, but we're not going there yet. I think a lot of times when we consider these questions, we think of, well, is this person qualified? Can this person do the job? Uh, does he have the skill? And so that, that's all the things that we're looking at when making a decision, you know, can, is this person is a minister, uh, minister or leadership position? We're looking all at the gifts and the talents and his abilities and all those things. You know, in our business, We've never had, we've always had to teach the skill to the people that we've hired. We've, maybe in a rare case, I think we might have hired a brick mason for a short while who had some skills, but for the most part, we have to train those people. We have to take the time to train them how to do our rock work. And I think a lot of times the businesses don't want to take the time to train. You know, I'd rather just hire you and you already have the skill, and so I will pick you, you, or whatever, who has the skill to do the job. Now, the Bible reveals that a leader must first have this. That before you look at the skills, before you look at the qualifications, before you look at the experience, the talent, can this person communicate, whatever it may be, he has to first have this. This is the first thing you look at. Now let's look at 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. I'm going to read a passage here concerning the selection of a leader, leaders in a church. A bishop is what is referred to here. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Says this is a true saying, <clears throat> if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy of, of money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And the word bishop there means uh, it's a superintendent. It is a leader, you know, basically what the word means. So what, I'm applying that to different, you know, situations here of whether you're looking at a leader in a church or a leader of a president, a leader of a nation or hiring a person or whatever it may be. So we're talking about a bishop here, and one of the key things I want to focus on here is that one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection, for if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now the title of this message is Dysfunctional Family Systems and Leadership. 
And I'm looking at how that sort of one can create a mess in the other area. That you want to look at the family system first. Uh, create the dysfunctional family system and there will be no leadership is what I'm saying. If your society, if your world sets out to create and set up a dysfunctional family system, you're not going to have any leadership. Forget it. The leadership is not going to be there. So what the Bible says is this is the first thing that you're going to look at in choosing leaders and putting people into power and choosing a ministry or minister or whatever it may be, a leadership position. You're going to look at the family system. And I think that's interesting. Because so often we look at other things. We look at skills. We look at talents. We look at all these other things. And the Bible comes back and says, no, 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 no. Take a look at the person as a whole family system. This is where you start at. So if I were considering putting you into a leadership position, the first thing I would do is visit your home. <laughs> and because it says one that rules well his own house. How do you rule your home? How do you rule your house? I could tell a lot by looking at your house. You know, if I had to parachute in to get past the weeds and the old junk cars sitting in your yard, that would tell me a lot about your home, how you're ruling your home, would it not? <laughs> if I had to, let's say you had a pathway in your house because you're a hoarder and, and you've got all this junk all through your home, that would tell me a lot about how you rule your home. Um, Every picture tells a story. How you take care of what God has given you means so much when you're thinking about choosing a man you know, as a leader, putting him into a position of leadership. How do you take care of the things that you have? You know, there's a verse, you don't have to turn there, but I've used it often. And it says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. This is Proverbs 24 and verse 30. And lo, it was all grown over, and thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall was broken down. So here's an image of visiting a person's home, and you're looking, and it's, there's, there's, there's briars, there's honeysuckles taking over the place, over the wall, and the stone wall is breaking down. Now I can tell you something from experience. It takes a lot of neglect for stone walls to break down. I mean, you just have to sit there for years and do nothing. And that takes 20, 30 years for those things to break down. And, but again, um, I often have gotten rid of things that I can't take care of. In other words, I, I find myself, okay, I, can't I don't have the time to take care of this anymore. And so I will get rid of it. And I also have a rule if I don't use things in a year or two time, you know, a period of time, if I'm not using it, it's sitting there in my building. I'm thinking, why is it still sitting there? It's two years, I haven't used it yet. I get rid of it, sell it, or in some cases I've given stuff away. So, you know, it, a business, you, you know, how does the person rule his business? You know, you could look at, well, Okay, I'm getting in over my head here. Uh, you can look at a person's vehicle. You know, I hadn't washed mine in a long time, so I better not say much here. Uh, <laughs> I've got another project going on, and I don't have the time to take care of my vehicle like I used to. But, but you know, you could look at that. 
you could tell a lot, but how does a person in a business, how do you take care, are they clean, are they nice? Is it organized? Is it organized? How you take care of what God has given you. You know, I mentioned it before, if you bought your son a bicycle, a brand new bicycle and he leaves it out in the rain and the seat starts to rot and the chain starts to rust, that tells you your boy is not grateful for the thing that you've given him. How do you know when someone is grateful? They take care of it. They take care of it. So this is something that we're looking at the family system. The second thing I would look at is the husband and a wife, husband and wife as a whole. You can't separate those two. You get one, you're going to get the other. You know, you put one in leadership, you, you've got the other one, by the way. You just don't know it. You know. But what's the work ethic do they have? What kind of work ethic do they have? That's one of the things I'd want to look at. Is the husband a couch potato? You know, uh, is, the, is the mother, is the wife a pill head? Addicted to things. Suicidal. Why is the person suicidal? I would want to know, why is this person suicidal? What's going on in that family system that this person is suicidal? Uh, affairs. You know, a lot of businesses, if they find out you're having an affair, they will fire you big corporations because they know that's a character flaw. So if you're fooling around having affairs, that, that reveals a lot. Is the person always sick? Hypochondriac. I've met people like that. You know, what's, you know, well, well, mama just can't take care of anything. Mama can't clean the house. Why can't mama clean the house? Is it that she can't or that she won't? Big difference between the two. Big difference between the two. And I'm talking about after you work all day. I'm not talking about, you know, the husband, whatever, mowing the grass. You do that after you've turned in 10 or 12 hours or on the weekend. Um, another thing I look at is, is in dysfunctional family systems, does the woman wear the pants? Does the woman? Now, let me back up here. I have seen relationships where that worked. The woman had to wear the pants because he wasn't, he's never worn pants, he never will, and he had, she had to wear the pants. And, and lo and behold, it actually worked on some rare cases. I have seen marriages where it worked and you knew the wife had to. She just had to wear the pants. But I'm not saying that's not normal. It doesn't match up with the Bible, with the father you know, being uh, supposed to be a leader. The father is not to be a spare tire that you just take along, you throw him in the back trunk, you know, and that's, he's just along. That's not the role of the father or the husband. So what I'm saying is you're looking at the marriage as a whole, you know, you're just not getting, let's say the husband, as I said, or the wife, you're getting both in this system. You know, uh, the law of attraction basically says that you attract every person that comes into your life. And in other words, your mate or whoever, often I've looked at sometimes relationships where, and it's easy to side up with one or the other, husband and wife, getting a divorce, they're not getting along. And you think, well, that, that guy, I feel so sorry for that guy. He just married a nutty wife. But you know, the law of attraction says, no, 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 no. That person attracted that person into their life. So I, I, I'm very reluctant at this point in my life to just dismiss it and just blame one. You have to look at it as a whole. Uh, the person did not just show up in your life uninvited. There's a law of attraction, work, you know, 
nuts attract nuts you know what <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how you know it, 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 you know you can't just blame the one and say, you have to look at what's going on dysfunctional family systems and leadership choosing a good leader third point look at the children look at the ch look at the family system you know if you're let's say okay you look at the husband and wife you think okay they're, they're pretty normal there they're pretty good but the children have maybe piercings all over their bodies, dreadlocks, skin maybe painted a different color, uh, maybe cannot formulate two words. That to me says something. You know, I, I'm going to ask, okay, what's going on in, in this system that the children are in that state of rebellious rebellion? What's going on? And I'm, not, I'm not making some of this stuff up. I, I, I've seen some of these systems where you think, what? You know, the children, the, the, the husband and wife look normal. Well, what's going on with the children here? I think you should question it. Um, uh, for example, you know, you're looking, all of a sudden, maybe you've got this 400-pound daughter. I, a bell goes off in my, I heard one time that often, now I know this is not all the case, some people just like to eat, okay? But in some dysfunctional family systems, I've heard that women who have been molested by an uncle, a brother, a father, will build a wall around them by eating and eating and eating so that no one will ever violate their bodies again. Okay, if I see something like that, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, what's going on in that system? Why is that person like that? Um, and I'm not saying that's always the case, not at all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we should look at these things. We should look at th these things. Another thing is, is I'm gonna, I would look at dysfunctional family system. No ambitions, you know. Uh, are, you, are you an ambitious person to, to go out and, and, and do and achieve and get things done? You know, Ronnie was telling me about some statistics on millennials that Millennials, and again, I'm not knocking millennials. Millennials, these are just statistics that I've heard that they're getting jobs later in life. They're getting married later in life. They're not moving away from home. They're moving away from home later in life, you know. Not that concerned about a vehicle. Not that concerned about a driver's license. You know, we, we work guys that, well, we tried to work them. They didn't last long, but, you know, <laughs> you, you know, you say, okay, you're 24, but you don't have a driver's license and you don't have a car, how are you going to get to work? When, you know, this, you know to me it's pathetic. Uh, the grandest day next to baptism in my life was the day I got, I got a driver's license, you know. <laughs> uh, it was just wonderful. But this is, these are statistics that, that are coming out that is just like, not sure what's going on, but the, am, the ambitions are just not there. And the reason I think this is important is this, you know, the average person lives to be 78 years old at life expectancy. The average person will spend four years on the toilet, 26 years sleeping, nine years watching TV. That leaves 39 years to get anything done. Now you think about that. I've got 39, we think we have forever. No, you've got 39 years to do, accomplish, achieve, get something done. How Americans spend their time in a day uh, one hour online, religious activities, 10 minutes a day, thinking and relaxing, 19 minutes a day, leisure activity, five hours a day. I got to entertain myself, you know. 
watching TV uh, two and three quarters a day. So you think, okay, what, what's going on here? And what's really important in a person's life to do to get things done? Ambitions, you know. It's like the old story of the, in the church they were going to build a, uh, I'm sure I've told this story before, but don't let me bore you. Uh, <laughs> with a clapboard church out in the country and the women were walking through the mud to get to the church and they had a deacon's meeting they're going to build a sidewalk and they said we need to build a sidewalk the women are stepping in mud and and one old deacon said don't need no sidewalk ain't going nowhere you know, a lot of people are that that describes a lot of people they they're not going anywhere don't need no sidewalk ain't going nowhere okay <laughs> all right I want to just touch on dysfunctional family systems a little bit. It was a, something that I studied probably 10 years ago. A guy named John Bradshaw. He's not a Christian, but he's, uh, he's had some great stuff on dysfunctional family systems. We have his cassettes back there. I want to reorder them in CDs, but some powerful stuff. He tells the story of interviewing a man who had uh, molested his, his, a father who had molested his own daughter. And finally, he got a little bit fed up. He said, why didn't you just hire a prostitute instead of molesting your own daughter? And the man in righteous indignation said, and what? Cheat on my wife? So that, that reveals a little bit of the deception going on in the mind of dysfunctional family systems. The way they think, the way they excuse things, the way they dismiss their behavior. Powerful deception there. Now, he says that there are roles that people play. One is a hero. You, you, often you'll have a hero in the dysfunctional family system. And he's out doing all kinds of stuff. You know, he's trying to be the hero. Another is the caretaker. The caretaker is the person who feels like he's got to take care of the family. He, he, you know, the caretaker is when you do for others instead of letting them do for themselves. And often these people get stuck in these roles of like, well, I've got to take care of mama. I've got to take care of daddy. I mean, I can't, I can't leave. In those systems, and that's the saddest part, you are, you are often stuck in those systems. You can't live a normal life. Like for this call, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife? You can't do that because you're stuck in a system. Oh, I've got, I got to take care of the family system. Another strange characteristic that I have seen is that people in these systems love it. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't trade their system for all the gold in the world. You know, you say, look, I can show you a better way. This will work for you. And in a way, you're taking away that thing that makes them come alive. The thing that gives their life meaning. You know, and you're thinking, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, Billy, Billy, uh, Billy Bob just got another DUI and they just threw him in jail again and Mary Joe Mary jo just got pregnant and, and, and you're, this, they don't say this with shame. It's a big smile on their face like, you know, there is no shame. And so if you try to take that away and show them a better way, you're taking away the thing that, that makes them come alive, their dysfunction. So that's one of the troubling things that I've seen is they love their dysfunction and wouldn't trade it for all the gold in the world. Now let's look at this one about the caretaker. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Because I think a lot of Christians sort of maybe misinterpret this of what we're really talking about doing. Galatians 6 and verse 2. 
It says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Notice that. Almost seems like a conundrum, a contradiction there. Verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. So what's, what's the difference there? Well, I think the difference is having the wisdom to know when you can truly help and when you're helping is actually hurting the person. You're not really helping the person. When you do for others, instead of letting them do for themselves, you are actually probably hurting that person. Um, some people, now I'm not saying there's not people that you cannot help, because it says, bear ye one another's burdens. And, but sometimes I've found that Christians think, okay, I'm, that, that's my middle name, I'm just a burden bearer, you know, like the bum on the street, whoever, I'm just here to help, I'm just here to help you bear you, and they, they go through life thinking that's what they're supposed to do. Often it's important to look at a person and say, what kind of record do they have? If you go back in 20 years earlier, is it the same old story? I'm broke, I'm sick, my wife just left me. It's been going on for 20 years, okay. All right. In other words, you cannot fix a broken record, is what I'm saying. But, again, bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then he sh shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. How are you going to let a person prove his own work if you're doing it for him all the time? You're not. You're not. The ultimate goal is to help, yes, you should help a person, but you should help them to get to verse 5, where they can bear their own burden. You're, if, you're, if you are helping without the right objective, you're actually hurting, probably. Help them get to that point where they can bear their own burden. Um, let's see. What's the other, another dysfunction that I've noticed sometimes is the hypochondriac. I, I once knew of a woman like that, that she gave me a list one time of, of prescription medicines she was taking. She said, I'm, doctors had given it to her and said, I'm taking 18 prescription medicines. She said, look at this. Proud of it, by the way. <laughs> when she passed away, the doctor said, your liver is destroyed. And the reason your liver is destroyed is because you've been taking all those prescription medicines that we gave you, by the way. Of course, if you knew this woman and you were a doctor, you would have given her probably 30 prescription medicines. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was like just, or at least the sugar pills, you know, where they think they're getting something, you know. That's probably what the doctors were giving her, by the way. <laughs> all right, the person always sick. Why do people, now, now I probably shouldn't say this, but Facebook, people put on there, I'm sick. Are there doctors on Facebook? I mean, maybe they are. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I sometimes think that the ultimate goal of dysfunctional family system is control. In other words, I want you to feel sympathy for me. I want you to feel sorry for me. So I'm pasting this, I'm posting this stuff, I'm sick. 
And you know, a lot of times with people that are always telling you that they're sick, you just need to say, I'm not a doctor. Uh, you need to talk to a doctor because I, I don't have the gift of healing that I know of, although I'd be glad to anoint you, but I'm not a doctor. And uh, you probably need to see, see a doctor. Now, another thing that I think is interesting often about some of these systems is, is the need to be what I call the center of attention. Often that is what I call a dysfunction, the need to be. Now, in my experience of working, I've worked with a lot of different guys, and, and sometimes you'll meet one that can't quit talking. I mean, can't. Why do we feel when someone's talking, it is our God-given duty to listen to them? Have you ever wanted to ask this? I mean, it's like, okay, 30 minutes have gone, mm-hmm, yeah, really, how about that? Yeah. You went to Walmart, yeah, you bought, you bought a new dress, that's right, that's good. That's right. You fixed a carburetor in your car and you dropped a screw down the manifold and you had to get a magnet to pick it out and get, take it back on there. That's interesting, that's good. You know, we feel it's our duty to listen. Now, I was wor working and I was thinking, because, you know, I was thinking, okay, this person must never get any attention at home because he's wearing my ears out. <laughs> and I thought, no, 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 David, you got that wrong. He is the center of attention at home. Now, listen to me. People, you've heard of favoritism. Often in family systems, you have favorites. And they become the center of attention. Now the problem is this, when they move away, you can't cut that off. You have to continue to be the center of attention. Guess how people do that? You talk all the time. If you're talking all the time, you are the center of attention. Because somebody's got to listen to you. <laughs> there are few that have the audacity to say, why don't you shut, you know. No, nobody, we're nice, okay. We're nice. Few people are going to have the audacity to say that. So. This is something that I realized that, that the way people achieve the center of attention is just to talk all the time. My daughter, you know, I have a shirt that says I'm only pretending to listen. <laughs> My daughter caught that. She was probably 12 years old. And sometimes she'd be looking at people, in her, she'd be studying. I'd look at her and she's studying what we're doing and studying people. And she said, Daddy, she said, said you when you talk to people you 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 act like you're listening you know you mm-hmm right is that huh, huh she said but you're not listening to a word they say she said that at 12 years old she told me that and I thought I was a good listener and I thought I said you know you're right I am not listening I was in a restaurant and the lady that served me had a shirt that says I understand I just don't care. <laughs> I said, where'd you get the shirt at? <laughs> she said, Walmart. And I said, well, I got a shirt that says I'm only pretending to listen. And, but you know, you, you've been around people where, where they're, they're talking and they're telling you their whole life's history and everything that they're doing. And you're thinking, yeah, you know, I understand, but I just don't care. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Someone said this, I thought this was good, if people can't control their own emotions, then they have to start controlling other people's behavior. I think you're seeing this today. Um, when you're around super sensitive people, you cannot relax and be spontaneous because you have no idea what's going to accept, upset them next. 
Yeah, you ever ran up a person and you're thinking, oh, don't you dare say that. If you say that, they'll, they'll blow up. And, and it's on your own pins and needles. And you can't relax and just be yourself. Because you never know what's going to send them through the roof. And you, you really can't, you know, you can't be yourself when you're around those people. <clears throat> now, again, I think a lot of these, this, what I'm calling a dysfunctional family system, all of this is about, to some degree or another, control. Whether you're talking about super, super sensitive people, super sensitive people, who are trying to control other people's behavior by being so super sensitive. Whether you're talking about the person that has to be the center of attention, that's a type of control. Uh, the caretaker, another type of control. Uh, hypochondriac, I want you to feel sorry for, for me, I want you to have all this sympathy for me, that's a type of control. What is it that you feel you have to control? You know, hopefully the answer is absolutely nothing. That's a great answer because it's a, it's a liberty when you can do that. You say, I don't, you know, so what? I mean, I'll let you learn from your mistakes. You know. uh, what do you feel like you have to control? And uh, let go of it. Let go of it. Incredible freedom. I want to conclude by Isaiah 9 and verse 16. Because it describes the end time and I think a condition that we already find ourselves in. Isaiah 9 and verse 16. Isaiah 9 and verse 16 says, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. One of the things that we pick up on at the end time is that there is no leadership. You look for leadership and there's none the family system now the question is why why is there no leadership the, the answer the family system has become so dysfunctional that there is no leadership and there's another thing i think is going on look, look isaiah 3 and verse 12 notice this one isaiah 3 and verse 12 says as for my people children are their oppressors and women rule over them O my people which they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of your paths. Again, the warning is, they that lead you cause you to make mistakes. There's no, the warning is there's no leadership here going on. And I think we have come to a point where what I would call the functional family system is no longer upheld. And what is glorified is the dysfunctional family system. Just watch TV. Well, don't watch TV. No, I'll take that back. Don't watch TV. But if you do watch TV, you realize what's being glorified is the dysfunctional family system. If it's messed up, that's what it's about. So what can we do? What can we do? One is, you know, surround yourself with what I would call functional family system and avoid those dysfunctional family systems. I, I can remember in my, my experiences visiting a this particular family, it was so dysfunctional that when I left, I was in a state of depression like, oh, why? Why did I even go there? I mean, I was so down. And I'm not saying you should shun people. And yeah, you can try to help people, but when it's dragging you down, where you're profoundly depressed and dreading, I had to make myself pull in that person's driveway. Literally. I mean, I'm slowing down. I'm thinking, here it comes. Here's the driver. Here's coming. 
Okay, turn the wheel, David, turn the wheel. Okay, I'm here. It was that bad. It was that bad. So, you know, surround yourself with functional families. And yeah, if it's, if it's really dysfunctional, you may want to, you know, you, you, you sort of become the kind of people you hang around with. I mean, you, they're, they're a positive influence about, you know, functional family system. Now, just a little side note here. Functional family system. Consider this when voting. Turning to politics here. <laughs> What's the man's family like? What's his children like? That's something you want to look at. That's what you, you know. If they impress you, that reveals more than you will ever know when you look at people's children and you're impressed by them. That's a thumbs up right there. That's, somebody did something right there. Somebody did something right. One that rules well his own house, having, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of a nation? It was James Carville, I think was his name. He was a, a campaign strategist for Bill Clinton. And he coined the little statement, it's the economy, stupid. I think you remember that. It's the economy, stupid. And so I want to say, it's not about the skills, not about the qualifications, not about experience, not about the talent, it's not about communication. It's about the family system that you are to look at that reveal, often reveals the true character of a man.